So begin our reading in John chapter 4, verse 27. It says, Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. As I approached this passage here again, as I looked at the storyline, I, I was kind of focused on all the details, and I thought, you know what, I want to just, I want to just step back and make sure that I'm not getting kind of lost in the details, in a sense, and and that I'm missing the main point. And because a lot of what was standing out to me is some of the things that are happening. Jesus was seeking the woman, as we talked about last week, and he shares himself with her. In fact, she's really the first one that he actually just openly came out and said he was the Messiah to. And so he is is witnessing, sharing himself with her. And then she goes into town and shares her faith with them. And in the meantime, Jesus has this conversation with the disciples about sharing your faith with other people and about the harvest of God. And and so there's a lot in here going on about witnessing. And I thought, well, that's definitely the elements that are taking place here. It's kind of an interesting story because the story starts out at the well and then the story splits. Right? Like a lot of times you see in movies and TV shows, the story splits and it shows you what's happening in town with the woman going back to town. And it shows you what's happening out at the well with Jesus still with His disciples. And then the people from town come back out so it re-emerges back into the main story. And so we get to see kind of both storylines transpire in that time. And then I stopped at one point and I thought, you know what, there's definitely a dominant theme running through this. But in the whole Gospel of John, really, what is the main... Point. What is he getting at? And you know what he's getting at? It's found right in that last verse, in verse 42. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That He is the Savior of the world. That's the main thrust. How do I know that that's the main thrust? Well, if you look back to His whole purpose of the book, it fits right in. But it actually started a lot closer to home than that did. What did we just talk about just before coming into dealing with this situation with the woman at the well? Right back to John 3.16 in his conversation with Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. In the Gospel of John, that word world is found in 66 different verses. And some of those verses contain that word two to three times. And that's why if you do an introductory study of the Gospel of John, 
You'll find that they figure Matthew was written to the Jewish people and Mark was written to the Romans and Luke was written to the Greeks and John was written to the world because of the emphasis found within this book. And in fact, it's, it's really kind of interesting because if you stop and look at just the, a little bit larger picture of the context that we're in right now, we've seen a conversation with Nicodemus where he tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Nicodemus was a 100% Jewish. And Jesus reaches out to Nicodemus. The conversation that we're looking at right now happens between Jesus and a woman of Samaria. Half Jew, half Gentile. The rest of chapter 4, as we get into that next week, Jesus is going to come across a Gentile man. And He's going to work a miracle in the life of that Gentile man and his family. And so we see right here within the Gospel of John, we see Jesus being the the Savior, the Savior of the world. And we're seeing a little demonstration of it in these two chapters of the book of John. And you know what? It's kind of interesting because when Jesus would leave this world and ascend back up into heaven, that's exactly the outline that He would give His disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we see a little microcosm of that in Christ's ministry. He witnessed to Nicodemus in Judea. He goes to visit this woman in Samaria. And He goes up into Capernaum and reaches out to this Gentile man. And so we see that Jesus really is the Savior of the world. And these people were convinced of that. And that is, that is the main point of this whole passage. Now, it should not be a shocker for us. And it should not have been for them. Because it actually boils all the way back down into the promise given to Abraham. In fact, we could go all the way back to the Garden of Eden because when God promised this one that was going to come and crush the head of the serpent, um, there isn't even an Israel yet. <laughs> so it's a, really the father of all mankind is in Adam. And so that promise was extended to all mankind. Well then, when even when you get up to where God is going to separate out a people for Himself, He gives a call to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, we find that promise. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so even though God's purpose in singling out Abraham was to make a peculiar people, separated, chosen unto Himself, He was going to use that peculiar relationship to reach out to the world, which is fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ. The prophets also bore witness to the same thing. I think of Isaiah in chapter 45 and verse 22. He says, Turn to Me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. There is a cry out to the entire earth to turn to Him and to be saved. Again in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. Now this is looking forward to Christ coming. And the servant is Christ that he's referring to. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Later in the Gospel of John, we'll find that he will stand up at a candle lighting ceremony and declare that he's the light of the world. Even at his birth, at his, after his birth at the baby dedication when they brought him to the temple, an old uh, priest working in the temple, he came and he said this, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. When Christ came, He was going to be the Savior of the world. 
That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not also the God of the Gentiles? And he'd say, yes, of the Gentiles also. But you know, there's, a, there's something about that. With Christ being the Savior of the world, which is what these people recognized in Him. That's what they saw in Him. With Him being the Savior of the world, the thing is the message kind of needs to get out to the world. And that's what we're seeing unfold in the story. You see, Jesus, He started out, as we learned last week, He says, I've got to go through Samaria. As we, as we pointed out last week, the Jewish people would rather go around Samaria. But Jesus says, no, I've got to go right. Why? The only thing that we can find that He really needed to do in Samaria is meet this woman to go and share His salvation with her. And she gets it right away. She gets all super excited about it. And this is too good information to be kept a secret. And so she goes running into town to tell everybody who she met. And the disciples, they're a little bit slower on the uptake. It's amazing to me. you got these 12 guys that have been following Christ. And they're granted it's early in His ministry. But they've been with Him every pretty much waking hour. And when you look at it, the only one that really had a clue that she had something to share with somebody else was this woman. She's more effective in this situation than those 12 apostles that have been following Him. In fact, what are they focused on? Lunch. That's what they're focused on. Now, to be fair to them, they were sent to town to get lunch. But they come back and Jesus is involved in this awesome conversation with this woman at the well. And you know, it appears that they come kind of right at the tail end of it. But obviously, maybe a little bit of it going on because they're not going to interrupt and say, why are you talking to her? And then she leaves and they're ready for lunch. And Jesus says, look, i got bread to eat that you don't know anything of. And they're like, did we have some food left over that we didn't know about? You know, they're still, their mind is on lunch. Jesus then goes into the story to teach them. He's the Savior of the world. But part of the thing with that being the Savior of the world is that message has to get spread. If He's the Savior of the world, then the message needs to get out to all the world. And that's why we support missionaries and things like that. That's why the Apostle Paul, when you get up to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then notice what he says. That brings us to a, a certain conclusion. And the conclusion is, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He says, look, there's a whole chain of events here that has to take place. Jesus Christ died for our sins, but in order to receive the benefit of that, you have to do what? You have to believe. Well, how can somebody believe if they haven't heard it? And how are they going to hear it unless somebody tells them? There's a practical outworking of the Gospel that has to take place for the Savior of the world to actually save the world. And that's what the story is about. The story is about the Savior of the world. But then as we go through this passage, we see three ways that we get to get in on the harvest. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to encourage the the disciples to do, is to get in on the harvest here. And Jesus is saying, look at what's happening here. As the conversation unfolds with the disciples, it's about four months before harvest season. So it's not really harvest time yet. So what is Jesus looking at when He says, look on the fields are white already to harvest? you know what? I think that what He's looking at is He's looking at fields that are green, but just getting going. What is He talking about the white fields? I think He's talking about all these people that would have been making their way and against the green grass that's growing on the hillside. It would have been like a white field of people headed their way. 
And Jesus is saying, look on the fields, they're white already to harvest. He's saying, look, you guys, you can get in on this. You know, when you see somebody come to Christ and you realize that they just left an eternity destined for hell for an eternity in heaven, that, that is an awesome experience. That is an awesome thing to be a part of that. You can be part of that. You don't want to miss this opportunity. And so as we look at it through this passage, there's kind of three, three things predominantly that stand out about what they need to do if they're going to experience and be a part of this harvest, this harvest of souls for Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see is just friendliness. They're surprised that he's talking to this woman. The woman was surprised that he was talking to her. She says, she says we don't have any dealings with you. Jesus asked her for water. As we mentioned last week, a Jewish person, an Orthodox Jew, would have seen themselves as unclean if they took a drink out of a pitcher of water from a Samaritan. You know what? Jesus didn't care about that stuff. He was just friendly. How are you going to reach him without being friendly to him? Comes up and asks her for a drink. Gets a conversation started. Now, is he thirsty? Yeah, but you know what he wanted really? Was the conversation started. How do we know that? Partly because of the response to the disciples. They come back with the food. And Jesus says, I have something to eat that you don't know anything about. You know, there's an old saying that says, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. That fits right into this picture. They are shocked that He would be so friendly with this person. But you know what? That's what Jesus is. And you know what? That's Pretty soon, that's what He got known for. He got known for reaching out to publicans and sinners and the people that, that the Orthodox Jew wouldn't have anything to do with. Jesus comfortable with talking to them and offering His salvation to them. And so friendliness. But not only friendliness, we also need focus. And here's where we see from the, the disciples. We've already hit on it a bit here. But they come out and what are they focused on? They're focused on lunch. And Christ is trying to get their focus going a different direction. Look at the fields. See those people coming Think about what you just saw, that woman that was here at the well in the conversation that I was involved in. Pay attention to what's happening here. He gets their focus going the right direction. Jesus definitely had that focus, right? In Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus had a way of seeing people with a different lens. He saw them in, as people in need of salvation. And so he was constantly aware of what it would take to bring them to that point of salvation. How can you get in a conversation that will steer it towards salvation? His focus was in the right place. The disciples, when they got back and they see the things going on, their focus should change some. They should be focusing on what's happening there with that woman coming to Christ. And, and it's just a great moment. Now, he points out kind of a couple things that goes along with this. And one is that there's always something to do. There's those that sow the seed and there's those that reap the harvest. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes a harvest? It's not four months until the harvest. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You know, in a season, what do you have? You have the people go out and plant the seeds in the field and then you wait. And you wait until the har- a harvest is ripe. And then you go out and you harvest the crop. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not seeing all of it. The reapers are already here. There's a crop here that's already ready to harvest. 
that was sown beforehand. In fact, that's the other part of the point is that this work has already begun. And we get to jump in on it, but we didn't begin it. One time we went down to visit my, my folks down in Arizona and as we're driving down the, along the countryside down there, there was lettuce fields. For as far as you could see, lettuce fields. And we're driving down this highway and there's workers out in the, in the fields. And it was really interesting. You realize we produce so much lettuce so fast, they don't even haul it to warehouses anymore. They do everything right in the field. They take it, they clean it, they wrap it, all that stuff, and they put it in the trucks and it goes straight to stores. They're harvesting all the time. Their fields are set up. So this one here is getting plowed up and planted. And this one here is growing. And this one here is harvesting. And so they're constantly, every day, they're always harvesting lettuce. They just keep moving from field to field to field. And when they get down to here, we go back to start back here because this stuff's coming back up now. They're always planting and they're always harvesting. And that's the picture that Jesus gives here. We're always planting and we're always harvesting. Sometimes we get to get in on different parts of that. But there's always some part for us to be involved in. You know, when you look at the idea of harvesting, there's kind of a general concept that God put in action that we learn about in, in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so the reason I pull up that Scripture is because uh, there's, there's what we call a law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest is, look, whatever you plant is what you get. And so if you plant corn, you get corn. If you plant radishes, you get radishes. If you plant lettuce, you get lettuce. And so, and God says, look, that's not just in plants, that's in everything. And so he uses this in a broader general um, description that, look, you got to put forth effort into the things that you want to bloom in your life. That same principle applied to the law of harvest that Christ is talking about in evangelism and sharing their faith is basically, if you don't sow any seeds, you aren't going to see any results. If we want to see people come to Christ, we've got to be willing to plant those seeds. We've got to be willing to share our faith. We've got to be willing to reach out. The Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6-9. through 9. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or waters, or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field and God's building. One of us plants, one of us waters. God gives the increase and we see a harvest. That's the important part. You realize that every person that you get to share your faith with, there's probably other people that have already tried to share their faith with them too. And so you're either just planting a seed or watering a seed, a seed that somebody else has sown. Do you realize that every person that you share your faith with more than likely has somebody that's connected to them that is praying for their salvation? And maybe you just kind of get to step in and be part of the equation, part of the answer to that prayer? And the most recent example in our own church family and our experiences is with Amber. Amber was having a tough time in life a little bit and just driving down the road, not even knowing why, just pulled into the little fork, pulled into the hotel and ran into Marsha and started to talk to Marsha. You know what Marsha did? Shared her faith in her home with her and then encouraged her to come and see me. And Amber came over here. And the first time she says, I never thought I'd be standing in a church talking to a pastor, but here I am. And I got to get to start to know Amber better or get to know her at all. I didn't know her at all before that. 
Of course, I shared my faith with Amber. Marcia shared her faith with Amber. Then she met Leah, and Leah shared her faith with Amber. And she started going to the ladies' Bible study, and the ladies' Bible study opened up, and many ladies shared their faith with Amber. And then, you know what? One day, they're at church, and everybody kind of going home and that kind of thing, and Matt and Mary's car wouldn't start. And Amber says, well, I'll give you a ride home. She gives her a ride home. They invite her into the house, and they share their faith with her. And that day, she puts her faith in Christ. That's exactly what this picture is talking about. We all got to be part of the process. One person sows a seed and another person waters it and more people water it and, and eventually somebody gets to be a part of the reaping. In the end, you say, well, what, what or who brought that person to Christ? You know, everybody. Everybody did. The field is huge. The harvest is huge. What is the point for us? We just got, we just got to get in the harvest. We just got to openly, willingly share our faith with other people. Now, that brings us into something very practical. Well, the third point that I'd like to gain from this is what I call forms. I remember in a, a church renewal class that we had one time, a guy talked about the difference between functions and forms. Functions is a principle that needs to happen. Like evangelism is a function. Evangelism needs to happen. Forms is how that happens. So the function is, a, is an important principle uh, a form of how that happens is often uh, not as important as the function. It's just a, however that ends up fleshing itself out. As we look through this passage, we see several forms that come out of these conversations that can be helps for us. As we try to get involved in the harvest, and we do that by, by doing what? By being friendly to people, by having a constant focus on the need for salvation so that when we're with people, we're thinking about the fact that they have a need of salvation if they haven't come to Christ yet. And so with that in mind, then uh, what are some things that can kind of help us along that way? I had a friend of mine that always used to just ask people, so you ever think about spiritual things? I think he learned it from the navigators. I think that was one of their techniques. And he's gotten into lots of conversations and opportunities to share his faith just by asking them that kind of a question. Well, when we look at this passage, we see a few kind of things like that. A few different forms for carrying out this function of sharing the gospel. Um, the first one is that we can use invitations. The woman goes back into Sychar, and what does she tell the people? She says, I met a guy who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Come and see. What does she do? She just, she's just inviting them inviting them to come see Him. We've already seen this in Scripture. If you remember back when Jesus was uh, picking His uh, his disciples, in John chapter 1, verse 40 and 42, uh, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Look, Andrew, he f- finds Christ. And what is the first thing he does? He just goes and invites his brother Peter. And then also within the disciples, we see in verses 45 and 46 of chapter 1 that Philip found Nathanael. So Philip goes and gets Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Just a simple invitation. Come and see. You know, that's not difficult. It can be intimidating, but it's not difficult. A simple invitation is sometimes all we need to get the ball rolling. And it can be even something as simple as inviting people to different things at at church. Inviting somebody to come to church. Inviting somebody to come to a Bible study. Inviting somebody to come to the ladies' lunch or a harvest supper. I remember one year coming up toward Easter, I read an article. And the article was they interviewed a whole bunch of people that don't go to church. And it said, "If if a friend or neighbor invited you to go to church this Easter, would you go? 
And you know, 70% of them said they'd go. 70%. But we're not asking. We just need to invite. Now, not only do we need to invite people, but I think it's really good. In fact, we see Jesus as a master of it. But, but He uses inviting language, I would call it. Now, what do I mean by inviting language? Jesus would talk to people in a way that would engage them. Right? You just tell people what you know on things sometimes. It's kind of in one ear, out the other. It's, it's, you're not really engaging the person. But Jesus would often say things that you'd have to go, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean by that? Right? We saw it with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came up with this big, uh, nice greeting and everything. Jesus says, you don't get born again. You're not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus says, uh, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean by that? Can an old man... And you get that whole conversation. The woman at the well comes out to Jesus and He asks her for a drink of water. Simple way to start a conversation. And she says, well, why would I... Why would you ask me for a drink of water since we don't have any dealings with you? And Jesus said that whole thing about water. If you'd have knew who it was that asked you, you'd ask me and I'd give you the living water. And she's like, "Uh, this well's a hundred feet deep. You don't have anything to draw with. Where are you going to get this water from? You see, now all of a sudden, her, she's mentally engaged. Nicodemus was mentally engaged. They're, they're involved in the process. And, and now, you don't have you trying to give the gospel to somebody. You have somebody asking you for it. Tell me what you mean by that. Tell me. And so you know what? Sometimes when when you're involved in a conversation, make a statement that's maybe a little vague, but that leads down a a good path for sharing the gospel. Jesus did that very regularly. Very helpful way to go about things. We also see the use of a question. I was reading one commentator said that this woman's uh, effort might have all been in vain if she would have not used this question. Because notice she comes down and she says, you, you guys wouldn't believe it. I met this guy and he told me everything that I ever did. Do you think he might be the Christ? Now, if she'd have just told him he's the Christ, they might have got a response like Nathaniel did earlier. No, he ain't the Christ. How would you know who the Christ was? But she says, do you think? She just asks him the question. Do you think? I remember a pastor one time asked me before I became a Christian. He says, what do you think you could do to go to heaven? And you know what? It, it, I had to come up with an answer. I really didn't have a good one, but I had to come up with one. And that was a seed that was sown in my heart leading toward my salvation. And then, use your story. It says many people believed because of hearing that woman's story. They use the word testimony. I use the word story. Often we use the word testimony. Your testimony is the story of you coming to faith in Christ. You just share your testimony of how you came to faith in Christ and that will help other people see the truth of the Gospel. Well, but then not only did people get saved from her testimony, other people got saved and they said, now we believe not only because of your testimony, but also because of the words of Christ. We've heard Him for ourselves. And so now we know it is true. So lastly, we would say to that, we would say use Scripture. And this is probably the most important of all of them because we have heavenly promises that come with using Scripture. But use Scripture. It's the Word of God that works within the hearts of men. And saves them from their sin. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. 
Peter talks about how we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul would tell Timothy, he says, from infancy, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scripture, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Word of God is that vehicle which brings about salvation. So, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, in order for the Savior of the world to save the world, that message has to get out to the entire world. And that's our job. Jesus is waking the disciples up to that reality. And and this morning, He's waking us or re-waking us up to that reality. We just need to be engaged with people and talkative with people and, and friendly. But then also, we need to do that with a certain focus so that that person, that little part of the world, could receive the salvation that is provided for the world through Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's just us planting a seed. Sometimes we're watering. Sometimes we're reaping. But we need to be involved in no matter what capacity it is. And then lastly, the the forms. The forms as we do these things, those will help us in very practical ways. Things, ways that we've seen these people, Jesus and, the, and this lady, participate in that process. Some of those uh, same things can help us in a very practical way as we strive to bring honor and glory to God through the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ.